The following sermon is from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to FAPC.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Our scripture passage comes from the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. The angel Gabriel is making the rounds. He's been to Zechariah in the temple to foretell the birth of John the Baptist. Six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, he stops by Mary's with a special announcement. And in about nine months, he'll be making a visit to the shepherds, keeping watch over their flocks by night. A reading from Luke chapter 1 verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. This is the word of God. For you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is the final Sunday of Advent, the liturgical season of waiting, as we prepare for Christ to be born again into our world, into our lives, into our hearts. This Advent, we have been guided by one of the season's classic carols, People Look East. The lyrics by Eleanor Farjan employ rich metaphorical language to describe that special delivery for which we wait. While the jaunty traditional French tune cajoles us to not just wait, but to wait with eager expectation and hopeful zeal. A mysterious, extravagant, astonishing gift from God is on the way, headed straight toward our hearts, our homes, our world almost here. We can almost see it, almost feel it, almost touch it. People, look east. 
How will we know? How will we recognize this gift from God, this love that is God? In multiple ways, the carol assures us. Love will come as a guest to those who wait, crossing the thresholds of our hearts and homes, meeting us exactly where we are. Love will come as a rose to those who wait, rising like a shoot from the stump of Jesse, reminding us that no matter how desolate the scene, God is at this very moment bringing forth new life. Love will come as a bird to those who wait, wait to be surprised by joy, trusting that at any moment something of extraordinary beauty and grace will burst into view. How will we recognize this gift from God, this love that is God? Love will come as a star to those who wait. Stars, keep the watch. When night is dim, one more light the bowl shall brim. Shining beyond the frosty weather, bright as sun and moon together, people look east and sing today, love the star is on the way. In C.S. Lewis's The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, three children find themselves transported to a Narnian ship sailing to the end of the world. There, they meet an old man who reveals that he is a retired star. One of the skeptical boys says, in our world, a star is a huge ball of flaming gas. To which the old man replies, even in your world, my son, that is not what a star is, but only what it is made of. So yes, we know that in our world, a star is a ball of hydrogen and helium that produces gas and heat. We know that the star at the center of our solar system, our sun, radiates heat and light, making possible all life on Earth. But because we are a people of science and poetry, a fact and metaphor, we know that a star is far more than a flaming ball of gas. Why else, when we look at a star-studded sky, would our hearts fill with awe and wonder? How can we feel so intimately connected to something millions of light years away from us? Perhaps because stars and human beings are not as dissimilar as we may seem. Scientists have determined that every element on the periodic table, except for hydrogen, is essentially stardust, which means that about 93% of our bodily mass originated from stardust. We are connected to the stars, not only because the creator of the stars created us too, but because God actually used the same material to make the stars in the sky and the living creatures on this planet, including you and me. We are made of hydrogen and stardust, but that is not what we are. We are children of God who loves us. People have been stargazing for millennia, some of the earliest written records we have, produced by Babylonians around 1600 BCE, record positions of stars and planets. 
Sailors at sea have long used the stars to guide them. The North Star, Polaris, guided Harriet Tubman and others escaping slavery on their journey north to Canada. Airline pilots are trained in celestial navigation so that if their high-tech navigation equipment fails, the stars can be their guide. Even some birds, like the indigo bunting, use stars to guide their nighttime migration. And of course, in Matthew's Gospel, magi search for a newborn king, following a star from their eastern lands to the town of Bethlehem. God created us with curious finds, so we wonder about that star. Did Matthew make that up? Or was there really an astronomical event that guided those magi? It's possible. This December, Jupiter and Saturn, the two biggest planets in our solar system, have been drawing closer and closer to each other. On Monday, December 21st, which happens to be the winter solstice, the longest night of the year, they will draw so close that they will appear to merge together. Even in New York City, if it's a clear night, stargazers may be able to see their coalescing lights, and indeed, it might look like a bright, beautiful star. Apparently, something very similar did take place around the time that Jesus was born. Was the Christmas star the Magi followed something like this? Perhaps it was. But do we need it to be? Does our faith depend on science being able to explain the star? I hope not. Because science cannot explain the incarnation. To comprehend this story, we need imagination, art, poetry, metaphor, wonder. Madeline Langle, author of A Wrinkle in Time, writes, when we try to define and over-define and narrow down, we lose the story the maker of the universe is telling us in the Gospels. I do not want to explain the Gospels. I want to enjoy them. I ask God to set me upon a rock that is higher than I so that I may be able to see more clearly that God made the rock, and you and me, and is concerned with creation, every galaxy, every atom and subatomic particle, matter matters. This is the promise of the incarnation. Christ put on human matter, and what happens to us is of eternal cosmic importance. The meeting of the angel Gabriel and Mary has been the subject of numerous paintings through the centuries as different artists strive to depict how this young girl responded to the angel's announcement that she would conceive a son by the power of the Holy Spirit. There are all kinds of ways Mary could have responded. She could have dismissed the vision out of hand and convinced herself that she was hallucinating. She could have protested or pleaded for this not to happen to her. She could have flatly denied that such a thing was possible. She could have gone along for the sake of going along. She could have thought, what in the world is going to come of me if I get pregnant out of wedlock? She could have said, no, find someone else. 
but she doesn't do any of those things. Mary responds by pondering, wondering, how can this be since I am a virgin? And when Gabriel says, nothing will be impossible with God, Mary responds, let it be with me according to your word. Mary is often proclaimed the model of a Christian believer because she fully commits herself to the work God called her to do, which in her case was to be God-bearer, the mother of God. We may long to be as open and courageous and committed in our desire to follow God as Mary was, but she's a hard act to follow. For one thing, she had her work pretty clearly spelled out for her. So she knew what God wanted her to do. So would we if the angel Gabriel dropped by with explicit instructions about how we were to answer our own call from God. But most of the time, in this complicated world in which we live, we don't have that same clarity of purpose, that clear sense of what we're supposed to be doing with our lives. We long for God to provide guidance to us, we long for God to answer our prayers. How long do we have to wait? In Advent 2020, our waiting feels weighty indeed. We've been waiting for an end to this season of pandemic that has taken over 300,000 American lives and 1.65 million lives worldwide in 10 short months. We long to worship safely together in our sacred spaces, to sing carols together, to gather with family and friends for celebrations or even in sick rooms, to hug and hold hands without fear. Beyond the pandemic, we're waiting for an end to political rancor and hostile divisions in our country and for healing of soul-crushing systemic injustices that leave too many people fearful sick, hungry, homeless, in prison, addicted, lonely, desperate. Actually, we've been waiting for good news since long before at this Advent. For months, years, centuries, millennia, humanity has been asking, when is God going to do something about all the troubles in the world? When will God's promise of peace on earth be fulfilled? According to Swiss theologian Karl Barth, waiting for God is the church's job. What other time or season can or will the church ever have but that of Advent, he asks. The church exists in between the first and the second coming of Christ. It's our job to remember with joy that Christ was born into our world as a baby in Bethlehem while we wait with hope for Christ to come again and redeem all creation. Pierre Taylor de Chardin was a 20th century Jesuit priest, paleontologist, theologian, and mystic. He believed that an organic process of evolution was at work throughout the cosmos, that the material and spiritual worlds were inextricably linked and that therefore all matter was sacred, infused with God's divine presence. 
As an evolutionary scientist, he theorized about the relationship between the vastness and splendor of millions and millions of stars and millions of galaxies existing for billions of years and, that the, and the relatively recent existence of humanity on this tiny planet, Earth. Galaxies, stars, and each human life is an inextricable part of God's divine plan currently unfolding in God's good time, he said. God waited a long time for the elements of the universe to combine to form planets and for the planet on which we live to bring forth life. Dinosaurs, mammals, and finally, human beings, you and me. God waited for us. In response to our impatience, Teilhard de Chardin offers this prayer. Above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are all quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. And yet, it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability and that it may take a very long time. And so I think it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually. Let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you. And accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. During these long nights, my friends, let us linger in the darkness without fear or dread, but with wonder and hope. Trust that prayerful waiting is an essential part of the work to which God calls us and that God waits with us. Trust that in God's good time, whether through a star shining brightly in the sky or a divine spark of stardust, tingling within our souls, God's guidance will come. Love, the star, is on the way. Friends, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and remain with you always. Love, the star, is on the way. Amen.